Radio.com presents stories of mystery and intrigue, espionage and suspense. Hear tales of ticking time bombs, mysterious crime scenes, and cloak and dagger action. This is Relic Radio Thrillers. Presenting the world's greatest mysteries. And now, your host. This is Basil Rathbone. Once again, it's my pleasure to bring you an intriguing story of mystery. Today again, we have as our storyteller, the young American newspaper man whose home is Paris and whose beat is Europe. Europe, a continent full of all the ingredients beloved by mystery writers and yet in reality twice as mysterious. Today's story is particularly full of suspense and yet is founded on fact. Of course, the names have been changed, but little else. There's a well-known saying that truth is stranger than fiction. Our story today is not only stranger, but more thrilling, more full of suspense than anything fiction can offer. Come with me then on another journey to the places where only a man in search of adventure would travel. In a moment, our play begins. Presenting Europe Confidential. Uh, Mr. Blake, I will uh, be frank with you. There is uh, much money invested in this race. If you were to win, it would prove uh, I'm embarrassing. Are you trying to threaten me? As I uh, said before, I, I come as a friend with some uh, good advice. And if I don't want it? Then uh, my conscience would be clear, and uh, anything that happens to you would be your own fault. Get out, Papina, before I throw you out. Uh, very well, Mr. Blake, as you wish. But consider what I have said. Consider carefully. Otherwise, today's race could well be your last. <laughs> In a moment, we'll bring you Lionel Merton as Mike Canoy, the Paris correspondent of a famous American newspaper, in another exciting story in our series, Europe Confidential.
My name is Mike Canoy. I write a column called Europe Confidential for the Paris edition of a New York paper. One of the nicest spots I know in this part of the world is the town of Parlena in Italy. You heard the name, of course. Parlena is where the big car race is held every August. Racing drivers from all over the world congregate there to risk their necks and their $30,000 racing cars for thrills, excitement, the honor, and a fat prize. And Mike Canoy goes, too, to lie in the sun, to drink good red wine, and, of course, to cover the race for the column. But who feels like work in a town like Parlena? The day before the big event, I wandered down to the pits in a half-hearted attempt to gather together a story or two from the drivers and their mechanics. And, as it sometimes happens, I met a guy I knew. Well, if it isn't Mike Maloney. Uh, Canoy, how are you, Rod? <laughs> Canoy, of course. Put it there, old man. Long time no see, huh? Yes, uh, when was it? Um, ah, yes, uh, Le Mans, 1953. Yeah, you came second, as I remember, but a close second. They tell me you're considered the favorite for tomorrow. Yes, so they tell me. It's a nice-looking car you've got, too. Oh, it's a work special, none better. And Joe's got the engine absolutely humming. Oh, you, you haven't met, have you? No, I don't think so. Mike Connor, meet Joe Binks, the finest nursemaid a car ever had. All right. Watch you, Mr. Connor. Hi, Joe. I guess I can quote you as saying you're confident of a win tomorrow. <laughs> Not half. The other cars just won't be in it. You won't see number 11 for dust, Mr. Connor. We hope. Oh, come on. Chief, you're not still worrying about that flipping monkey, are you? Monkey? A flipping silver monkey on a piece of string. Well, I still don't get it. I'll laugh but... if you like, Mike, but I've lost my good luck charm. Do I sense a story? Oh, you'd better not, or I'd be the laughing stock of the racing world. But the fact remains that I've lost my talisman, or fetish, whatever you like to call it. And I feel darn uncomfortable about it. Yeah, but surely all this business... Hello, we've got a visitor. Min Sakara. Second favorite. Yeah, that's right. Good afternoon, Senor Blake. Hello, Sakara. Trying out the track? Uh, just a practice run to stop me getting bored. Uh, I know every inch of the circuit. I know it like the back of my hand. I uh, just uh, thought I would inquire how things were with you. Oh, excellent, thank you. Never better. I hadn't seen you for a day or two. Well, we've been occupied tuning up the engine. I never do much running about directly before a race. I like to save my energy. Well, some may think it a good plan, but uh, this circuit can be very treacherous one, senor. It can be a, a killer to one who is unfamiliar with it. Well, I've been over it several times. It didn't strike me as being terribly difficult. It is a far different matter when you are actually racing, as you know. Uh, two drivers I knew very well uh, met their death here at Palermo. Well, that's a risk we all take, Sakaro, in any track, no matter how well we know it. Yes, I suppose you are right. Uh, however, I felt it my duty to warn you, and uh, no, senor, I must go. And in case I don't see you before the race, uh, good luck. Thank you, Sakaro. Same to you. So that's the famous Nim Sicaro, huh? Yes, my chief rival. A nasty bit of work if ever there was one. Well, pretty decent of him to warn you, though. Was it? Well, possibly I'm hypersensitive, but it sounded to me more like a threat. Threat? Oh, I suppose it's just me. I've, I've got a nasty feeling about this race. And even the thought of 20,000 pounds prize doesn't make me feel any happier. It's all because of a silver ruddy monkey. Yeah, come on, give, Rod. What's this all about? All right, well, you see, when I was a lad, I used to race motorcycles. Half an hour before my first real race, I found a silver monkey lying in the dirt of the pit. I was probably off some girl's charm bracelet. Anyhow, as kids will, I picked it up, put it in my pocket, and decided there and then it would be my good luck charm. Well, I won the race. 
And after that, I never raced without it. Even after I graduated to cars. You believe that this piece of metal has some sort of magic about it? No, no, of course I well, do Well, then, why all well, this Well, the charm... It, well, it gave me self-confidence. While it was hanging around my neck, I, I could take risks. And no, they'd pay off. You know, I, I could go that little bit faster. Take that bender a fraction sharp. Yeah, but if you realize that it was all in your own mind, why, well, there's nothing to worry about. If you could do it with that monkey, you could still do it without. Oh, Mike, I'm afraid I can't. And for that reason, I'm going to pull out. I won't be racing tomorrow. Blake, renowned the world over for his devil-may-care breakneck driving, refusing to race because he'd lost his talisman. Can you beat it? Personally, I've no time whatsoever for this superstitious nonsense. I've walked under ladders, spilt salt by the cellar full, broken mirrors galore, and so far nothing's ever happened to me. Or has it? Well, Joe and I gave him a talking to. We tried to make him see reason. At the end of half an hour, we'd almost succeeded. I, I suppose you're right. At least I, I know you're right. I'd be a darn fool to pull over. But even so, If I... you didn't race tomorrow and the reason got around, as these things do, why, you, you'd never live it down, Chief. But at least I'd be alive. Look, isn't there an easier way out of this? Well, like what? Well, let's look for the monkey. Where do you think you lost it? That's the trouble. I don't know. You see, I usually wear it around my neck, but yesterday morning I noticed it was gone. We've looked everywhere for it. My wife's turned the hotel suite upside down. There's no sign of it. So the sensible thing to do is to forget you ever had a flipping talisman. Or get a new one. But whatever happens, Chief, you've got to race tomorrow. Tell yourself you've lost your nerve, and sure as eggs is eggs, you will lose it. Well, I won't make any promises, Joe. I'll see how I feel about it tomorrow. And Mike, do me a favor. Nothing about this in your column, huh? Oh, I don't write a word, much as I'd like to. Uh, by the way, why don't you and your wife have dinner with me tonight? Oh, love to, Mike. But I insist, you dine with us. Oh, okay, then. Either way suits me. Well, we're staying at the Hotel Napoli, Suite 206. About, um, 8 o'clock? I'd never met Rod's wife before, but Janet Blake was a honey. She had the kind of blonde hair you can't get from a bottle. A pair of wide blue eyes and more curves than a scenic railway. She was very concerned about her husband's welfare. No, Rod, I don't want you to race tomorrow, and that's final. If you drive feeling that you're going to have an accident, chances are you will. And I don't want to be widowed out. <laughs> just as I talked him into it. I seem to be getting just more confused. One part of me says, 20,000 pounds prize money, and boy, do you need it. <laughs> and the other part of me says... The only thing you'll win is a broken neck. Oh, we don't need the money all that badly, darling. Don't we? Have you seen my bank balance lately? Janet, are you sure you look everywhere? I've done everything but tear the carpets up. I've mentioned it to the hotel staff, told them we'll pay a reward, but no luck. Oh, I wish I'd never found that darn thing in the first place. Well, if you hadn't, you probably would have placed your faith in something else. A lucky mm -hmm. shilling, locked in your mother's hair, a rabbit's foot. <laughs> you know, and the funny part is that anything can give you confidence, just so long as you believe in it. You know... I've never thought of it that way. Another cup of coffee, Mr. Canon? Yeah, no, thanks, Mrs. Blake. I've done very nicely. Uh, you know, a fellow I once knew started a lucky charms by post business. 
You fill in the coupon, post it off with a dollar bill, and he sends you a genuine lucky pixie stone by return mail. <laughs> All his advertisements began with the same caption. The lucky pixie stone brought me a wealth of good fortune, and believe me, it did. He used to sell 50,000 of these things every year, and it was all profit. <laughs> oh, dear, look at the time. As I explained to you before, Mr. Canoy, I have to go out for a while. You will excuse me, won't you? Well, of course, Mrs. Blake. I promised Helen I'd have a drink with her tonight. Uh, Helen Jorgensen, you know, the wife of the Swedish driver. Yeah, I've heard the name. Oh, now, where did I leave my purse and gloves? Here, right in front of your nose. Oh, thank you, darling. I... Hey, careful. Oh, that was clumsy of me. Here, let me help you pick it no, up. No, 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 thank you, darling. It's all right. All right. I don't know where you find the most odds and ends, in a man's pockets or a woman's purse. <laughs> there. And now I must rush. Uh, goodbye, Mr. Canoy. It's been so nice meeting you. Perhaps we'll see you tomorrow. We can watch the race together, all three of us. Yes. Good night, Mrs. Blake. Bye, darling. Be back in an hour or so. All right, Pet. And don't let Mr. Canoy talk you into anything. I'd rather have a live husband than a dead one. <laughs> well, I suppose that settles it. I don't race tomorrow. The decision's been taken from me, and I'm glad. Yeah. Uh, Rod, will you pardon me if I leave now? I just suddenly remembered I'm supposed to phone my editor in Paris with some sort of a story. Oh, you can do it from here if you like. Well, thanks. No, I've got to write it out first, so I better go back to my hotel. Anyhow, thanks for having me. I'll see you tomorrow sometime. My excuse sounded pretty weak, I know, but I wanted to get out in a hurry. I was puzzled about Rod's wife. You see, when Janet dropped her purse and spilt the contents on the floor... I saw her hand close on something and shove it quickly out of sight. You'd never guess what it was. <laughs> yeah, a silver monkey on a piece of string. When I came out of the hotel, Janet was way down the street, almost out of sight in the dark and walking fast. I followed. After 15 minutes, she stopped outside a three-story apartment house. I watched without any qualms. She pressed a dainty finger on the bell, and who should open the door and take her in his arms but Nim Sicaro? <laughs> Dear Dorothy Dix, when a guy discovers that an acquaintance's wife is being unfaithful, what should he do? Me, I decided to shut up about it, for the time being at least. However, next morning, first thing, I dropped into a jeweler's shop and made myself a small purchase. That done, I went down to the pits and presented my small purchase to Rod Blake. <laughs> Have you ever seen a racing driver jump for joy? Mike, old boy, it's it. It's the monkey. Yeah. Joe, Joe, come here, look. What's up, Dick? He's found my monkey. Well, I'll be... What wonderful luck. Oh, I thought you said you'd look for it. Oh, so he did. I found it not 30 feet from here, lying in the oh, dust. I don't know how to thank you, Mike. You're just in time. I was about to hand my withdrawal into the chief steward. Now this changes everything. So you'll be racing after all. By Jiminy, I will be. Ah, that's what I like. Oh, excuse me a moment, Mike. I'll get Janet on the phone. Is she going to be pleased? <laughs> As the time for the race drew nearer, Rod and his team of mechanics fussed around the car like a bunch of happy kids on Christmas morning. It was 12 noon, and Rod and I were sipping a cup of steaming coffee when we had a visitor. Excuse me, is Mr. Blake here? I'm Blake. Can I help you? My name is uh, Pepe Papina. You have heard the name, no? Yes, sir. I believe I have. Excellent. I wonder if you and I could have uh, a few words alone... I'm sure this gentleman will excuse us. Oh, sure. Wait on, Mike. A few words about what? I would uh, 
prefer to tell you alone, Mr. Blake. You see, it is something rather a personal, a the race. You can say it in front of my companion. Uh, very well. Uh, first, uh, Mr. Blake, let me say that I come as a friend, if you possibly know. I and many of my acquaintances uh, make our living from uh, speculation. The Pina, of course. This guy's one of the biggest gamblers in Europe. Uh, thank you. Uh, Mr. Blake, there is uh, much money invested in the race this afternoon. And? Uh, frankly, Mr. Blake, it would be uh, embarrassing were you to win. Knowing how ruthless my colleagues can be, I felt it was uh, my duty to come here today and warn Are you trying to threaten me? Not at all, Mr. Blake. It is not I who threaten. Why, that would be a criminal offense, would it not? I come here uh, simply as a friend with some uh, good advice. And if I don't want it? Then uh, my conscience is uh, clear. And anything that should happen to you would be your own fault. Get out of here, Papina, or I'll personally throw you out. Very well, Mr. Blake, as you wish. But consider what I have said. Consider it carefully. Phone the police, Rod. Let them take care of it. Police, what could they do? Well, arrest him. You've got me as a witness. Arrest him for what? Giving me some advice? No, he couldn't do anything. Anyhow, it's only a bluff. Well, I'm not so sure. They wouldn't be game. Besides, what could happen to me? I'll be wearing my silver monkey. <laughs> p.m. In 30 minutes, the race was due to begin. I wished Rod all the best and then went to see the chief steward. I told him my story and then made a rather unusual request of him. But, Mr. Conroy, nothing like this has ever been done before. I know. But if what you say is true... I assure you it is. We should put the matter in the hands of the police. But as you say, what could they do? It would mean, among other things, a postponement of the race... Uh, believe me, what I suggest is the only way. Very well, Mr. Conroy. In the interests of fair play, I will do it. Menko, come here, quickly. I walked back through the crowd until I was in a position where I could see the entrance to the pits. The cars were being driven slowly into their starting positions along the track. The car with number three emerged. It was Nim Sakaro. Then a few moments later, the other car came out. Number 11, Rod Blake. I could see Rod waving goodbye to Janet. I waited no longer. I walked to the back entrance to the pits and stood in the crowd. A few seconds later, Janet Blake hurried out, and I followed her. I didn't even see the start of the race. All I heard was a scream of engines and a roar from the crowd. I was busy trailing Janet Blake for the second time in 24 hours. 
She was walking towards the west end of the track, some two miles away. There were hardly any spectators up this end. Hardly anybody except Janet trudging through the long grass and me following. She disappeared over a small hill. I walked to the top and found myself peering into the wrong end of a 30-30 rifle. It was Pepe Pepina. Put up your hands. Surprise, surprise, Mr. Canoy. Oh, not so much of a surprise, Mrs. Blake. I guessed who you were going to meet. You see, I uh, I saw you in Sicaro last night. Frustrated detective, are you, Canoy? But you wouldn't have made a very good one. I've known you were following me for the last ten minutes. Here, I gag him with my handkerchief and tie his hands with his cord. With pleasure. Now, 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 look, wait a minute. I will not hesitate to shoot. Look, there's something you ought to know. You see, I... There we are. You're a breath, my friend. Walk over there where I can watch you. Sit down. That's it. You saw the monkey in my bag last night, Canoy, didn't you? I thought I got it out of sight in time, but apparently I didn't. Yes, yes, you're right. I stole it in an attempt to stop Rodney racing today. And it would have worked if you hadn't given him that phony one this morning. I know you can buy them easily enough. Now we may have to cause an accident, and it'll be all you're doing. Well, there he goes. Number 11. And there's Nim, right behind him. Twenty-four more laps to go. And if dear Rodney's still leading on the last lap, he'll have the smash of his life. And all the good luck charms in the world won't save him. What could I do but watch? As the race went on, the two cars in question held their lead. Pepina, from his vantage point, had a perfect view of the sharp turn at the end of the track. The cars had to slow down to negotiate it. As the two cars neared the turn on the last lap, Pepina lay down on the grass and pushed the stock of the rifle against his shoulder. Which one's leading? Can you see? I think it's... Yes, a number in there. Rodney, the fool! The fool, indeed. Pepe, please be careful. Don't. I am aiming for the tire, not the man. <laughs> The car zigzagged along the track as the driver fought to regain control, but Pepina's bullet had done its job. The car veered into the safety fence with a sickening crash and burst into flame. At that moment, half a dozen uniformed police appeared over the brow of the hill. Pepina grabbed Janet's arm and they tried to make a run for it, but they didn't get too far. By the time somebody had released my bonds, the pair were being led back, handcuffed to a pair of tough-looking cops. An ambulance had reached the burning car... I'm afraid they were too late. I didn't have anything to do with it. He fired the shot. I would advise you to leave the accusations until later, Signora. Uh, we did not mean okay to kill him. Nevertheless, Nim Sekaro is a dead. Nim? Well, you're making a mistake. He's in car three. No, Signora. At the last minute, the stewards had the numbers of the two cars changed. Number three became a number 11, and number 11 became a number three. That is Nim Sekaro who lies dead in that car, not your husband. <laughs> Give it to me straight, Mac. Right from the beginning. Oh, okay. Janet and Nim Sakaro planned to run off together right after the race today. Sakaro introduced her to Pepina, and the three of them put their heads together. They decided they would back Sakaro for a fortune, and Janet's job was to stop you from racing. Go on. So she stole the monkey, knowing how much you depended on it. By this morning, when I handed you the fake monkey, they knew they'd have to try something else. 
Papina came and tried to warn you off, but you weren't having any. So he and Janet decided that rather than lose all that dough, they'd shoot a tire if you were leading and put you out of the race. And you saw the chief steward and asked him to change the numbering. Well, it was the only way. I had no idea exactly what they were going to do, but... but... why did Sakara try to win if he knew they were waiting to shoot number 11? <laughs> yeah, that's just it. He didn't know. Janet thought he would have been against it, so she didn't tell him. The police arrived a fraction of a second too late. Unknown to me, the chief steward rang the police immediately I left, had me followed. But they lost sight of me as I was following Janet, and by the time they found us... I see. Well, Mike, thanks for saving my life. Rod, I'm sorry about Janet. Yes, I can. I can still hardly believe it. I suppose you never can tell with a woman. I'll, I'll get over it, I expect. In time. He did get over it, but it took a long, long time. Matter of fact, I saw Rod again last week at Le Mans. He won the Grand Prix. <laughs> he told me after the race that he knew he couldn't lose. He was carrying a four-leafed clover. been listening to Lionel Merton as Mike Canoy in another exciting episode in the series, Europe Confidential. This is Basil Rathbone again, and so our journey into the realms of mystery is over. Soon, however, I'll be back with more of these tales of mystery which I know we all enjoy so much. Well, goodbye now till we meet again to listen to another of the world's greatest mysteries.
That's the show for this week, but don't forget there are thousands more like it at RelicRadio.com. Horror, strange tales, science fiction, crime, all available for free. If you'd like to donate to Relic Radio and help keep it all free, you can do that through the website as well. Visit donate.relicradio.com to find out more about that and see the special downloadable sets that are available. My thanks to those who have donated, and thanks for listening today. Talk to you again next week. Thank you.